0: Welcome to The Movement with your host, Shannon D. Hughes. In your life, do you celebrate the downfalls along with the peaks? You should. These define you as the person you are and help you learn your way to personal success. Now, here is the host of The Movement, Shannon D. Hughes.
1: Wednesday, April 18th, 2018. Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, no matter where you are listening to the world. I am your host Shannon D. Hughes, and you have just rejoined the movement. We talk about pitfalls, life, the ups and downs, and basically about empowerment. And my next guest uh, is just embodies all of that. And this is a wonderful woman that I want to bring her backstory. As the founder and CEO of Earthkind, Carrie Warburg Block was the first to develop, manufacture, and commercialize non-toxic rodent and in- insect repellents for home use. Her mission was to build a purpose-led company to create change through business. Carrie's success has been very hard on her since launching EarthKind. She has attended pretty much every industry event. Trade show that she can and has become involved in government and entrepreneurial networks at all levels to create market transformation. She was selected as Ernst & Young Entrepreneurial Winning Women, which is a national program that identifies a select group of high-potential women entrepreneurs whose business shows real potential to scale and help them to do it. And this is a tremendously powerful woman, and I'm welcoming her to the moment, Carrie Walbert Block. Hello, Carrie.
2: Hi. Thank you for having me. I'm so looking forward to talking to you, Shannon.
1: Oh, the honor is all mine. The honor is all mine. So um, I could have read your your credentials, Followed for the next Three weeks—it's just so impressive. But let's let's start back a little bit. What's not uh, on the information I have, and let's talk about where you grew up and and your family life and things of that nature.
2: Sure, sure, I'd be happy to. I was born in Logan, Utah. My parents were in college. I was a surprise, so I came pretty early to them in the game. Uh, my father was finishing up his PhD in entomology. Which um, plays into our story, kind of uh, in a in a roundabout way. Um, in any case, he decided he wasn't really wanting to go into government business, which you did at that day and time with a PhD. So he went on to the private industry side and started climbing the corporate ladder. Uh, as a result, our family moved around a lot, so I got to see a different school every year of my life up until I got to high school. So I was born in Utah. We lived in Oregon. I lived in Washington State. I lived in New Jersey. I lived in Minneapolis area, a couple other points in between. Um, and and what's kind of significant about that is I got to see a lot of different cultures, a lot of different um, Ways of life. I've picked up a few accents, so I've had an East Coast accent. I've been a Westerner, and, and now now you can probably hear I almost sound like a Canadian because I'm from North Dakota now, even though I'm talking to you today from our lake cottage in North Carolina, which almost blew away in a tornado that pulled through here two days ago. So
1: um, I
2: wouldn't have had anybody here on on the plane to pull me back in, but it. Uh, so we're lucky to be here. There's trees down all around me, um, as I talk today, but it's 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 a real beautiful state. So going to all these different schools, um, every year of my life, many times I was actually my sister and I were the minority, um, because my dad went into these areas and it really helped him build his career, but um, you know, I was the only white girl and in some schools where they were colored, and and then we were in Native American areas and and all all points in between, but I I learned so much um, about people and um, humanity that I think it really plays into what we are today. So, I, I finished high school in North Dakota, and it was the smallest place I'd ever lived, and I I got out of there just as fast as I could because I was just hated it. I was like, "Oh my gosh, there's nothing to do here," so on and so forth. But I did come back when I wanted to have a family, and wow. uh, that—that's pretty much the formative
1: years. Wow. So let me ask you. And I'm glad everybody is safe and sound down there, by the way. So where did the? So it sounds like it's your your uh, father kind of had a very impactful. Uh, was very impactful on your life is, is you becoming an, an entrepreneur. So when did that kick in for you? When did you say you know what this is kind of what I want to do? When when was it high school? Was it college? Was it after college? When 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 do you think that was for you? <laughs> <laughs>
2: we could talk we could talk for days on this one, Shannon.
1: So
2: <laughs> my dad, it's kind of funny, he did have quite a imprint on me. Uh, Although he was uh, pretty smart, you know, getting all the way up to a Ph.D., um, I myself, when I was in high school, I was told I couldn't go to college because my grades weren't good enough. I was in special ed classes for many of my years. Um, I learned very differently. And um so I was always behind a year or two or three behind because we were moving around a lot and there was different teaching and I just could not catch up with all of the change so um I eventually did go to college later and graduated with three chords, magna cum laude which yeah I was pretty excited about um but I didn't do that till I was 40 um so Becoming an entrepreneur was always something that I could do and have fun with without necessarily being really good at school, right? So I started, <laughs> I think it was my first business when I was five, if you could call a lemonade stand, a um, first business. We lived in Cherry Hill, New Jersey, and there was kids outside selling lemonade one day, and they're selling it for, it was like a nickel or something, and um, I got the idea my folks called it a wild hair, right? <laughs> so I said, hey, I want to sell lemonade to the moms. And I bet I can sell the lemonade to the moms for 25 cents. But I want real lemonade. I don't, I don't want a packet of sugar. I want real lemons. And I want real sugar and, and ice cubes and nice real glasses that the moms can drink out of. And it worked. And I think at that point I realized there... Yeah, there was something fun about making money and delivering something that was unexpected. I went on to do other things. I made beaded necklaces and I sold So pretty much any gift that anybody gave me, like crafting things, I'd love to do that. I'd make things and then sell them. Um, So I always kind of had that entrepreneurial um, bone in my body and then... Probably my first experience with distribution, which now I'm in manufacturing, but when I was in junior high, I was in West St. Paul. I had um, a really long bus ride, but we lived in this huge complex, and um, I thought, geez, I could make some money delivering newspapers, but I didn't necessarily like to get up at four in the morning, and it was really cold sometimes in the winter Mm -hmm. in uh, the Midwest, (laughs) And I heard the other paper boys, they were all boys, I was like the only girl, and they were complaining all the time about collections. And I've like got this idea hey, why don't I do all the collections, and then you do all the deliveries, and we'll split the money. (laughs) So I had my first distribution uh, business at that point in time, but I didn't really consider that each day. Somebody would have something, and I'd have to fill in for them delivering. So I was delivering and and um, collecting. Then, when I was in high school, i I did bookkeeping, and I started cleaning houses. and um, i was it was my goal to save enough money so I could buy a car and and move out. So I had a car while I was in high school, and I started my first official. Business. I was 19. It was um, balloon telegram, balloons, bouquets, and singing telegrams. This was back in about 1981, 82. Nobody had really done anything like this yet. I'd heard about it somewhere in the news, and um, I got in my car and I drove out to this place in in uh, Montana, and I, I talked to the proprietor of the business, and she helped me with the information, and I, I came back and started this business in my folks' basement. <laughs> and uh, all of a sudden, I, had, I took an ad out, and I had this little business, and I had about five of my girlfriends running balloon bouquets around and singing happy birthday to people, and we were, we'd get all kinds of a 100 a day on the holidays, and that, that was pretty exciting for a 19-year-old. And I ended up selling that business and using the money, and uh, moving um, to Minneapolis where there was more people. I could wow. uh, have more friends. And then I didn't didn't do a lot with the entrepreneurial thing for a few years after that point, point, um, you know until later years. But altogether, I've had eight businesses before this one.
1: Wow, that is amazing, and I think uh, for for the for the younger listening audience, I think people don't realize back then. You know, it was like w- without social media and Google and the internet and all of that stuff, you literally had to roll your sleeves up and just get into th- get in it. So my question would be to you. How difficult was that? Was there any days where you were like, you know, I don't know if I should really be doing this. You know, my dad kind of did all this stuff. I don't know. I mean, like now you can kind of start a social media account. You can put some things out there, organically let it grow and do your things. But back then, you you literally and figuratively just rolled your sleeves up and you had to go and just ground and pound until I got there. Was there days where Carrie said... Yeah, this might not be for me. I, I, eight businesses. The, I'm sure there had to be some days you said, no, nah, this is not happening for me."
2: Yeah, yeah. It's it's really about, I think, the human spirit, right? It's um, there's something about being in the wilderness to me. I that's what I liken it to, being in the wilderness. It's um, it. I think it's really necessary to make it as an entrepreneur because you get in this place of transformation and change. And um, you have to dig really deep, right? You, you have to find curiosity to figure out what's going to work. You have to be optimistic uh, to believe that it's going to work. Um, and the other thing, too, is there's this magic thing that happens when, when you're in the wilderness, although it's painful and it's scary and it's dark and you feel like you're there and, you know, nobody else is there. But you find you find really good stuff out there. You know, I consider myself an innovator and everything I touch, it's my goal to transform transform it and make it better in you know, in some way. But but what it does is it connects you. It connects you to that the grand universe, you know, it connects you to God, it connects you to that, that thing that you have in you, you know, your spirit that says, I can do this. I'm going to make something out of this. And in, in those things, I, I find courage. It makes me curious. Um, and then I start to build confidence on it. And, and like, like anything, when you try it, it doesn't work. There's, there's certainly a, a period of, you know, <laughs> what's going to work? I know with the balloon delivery service, you know, the first time I realized certain types of balloons didn't hold air, and then they'd start to, you know, just fall out. And, and the thing that made me want to do it, because I wanted to transform um, for people, like, they, at this time, everybody sent a bouquet, right? And it, it just didn't seem personalized enough for me, and I got flowers, and I thought, what a waste. They're dead in, like, three days. And then they have to dispose of them and the whole thing. So I thought, hmm, you know, a balloon delivery, I could sing to the people. I could put lots of colors and people smile and laugh with balloons. I could put a little pot of candy on the bottom so they'd have candy to continually keep that that positive emotion of joy alive for weeks. And, and that's what kind of... Um, Pushed me through and helped me figure out. Okay, hey, where do I put the helium tank? You know, what if it blows up? And like, I need to buy um, insurance for this. I didn't know anything about that, so I was like, "Hey, folks, would you let me put this in your basement? The business in the basement. I'll come here every day, and then I'll clean house in between orders, and that you know, that can help pay back." And they kindly obliged. Um, but once it grew bigger than that. And all the local flower shops started putting a lot of pressure on me, you know, like letting air out of my tires. <laughs> I couldn't make deliveries, stuff like that. I was like, no, no, I'm out of here. So I sold my business um, at that time. And I've you know, matured a lot since then. That was quite a few years ago where um, taking me up today, the business is, is it's really a purpose-driven business. And it, it is transformation. Trans- formative for sure. But now, you know, I'm into pest control, but it was the same thing. There, there was this deep pain that needed to be healed. I had a problem with rodents um, on the farm, mice and rats. They kept getting into the stuff that, that um, we owned. They were doing damage. It was costly. We couldn't really afford it we're farmers out in Western North Dakota. And I mean, every penny mattered. I think we lived on about 25,000 a year. It's hard to live on, but you know, we did it and all, everything was into the crop. Um, So it was like, gosh, I have to solve this problem. But at the same respect, I didn't want to use a poison. I didn't want to use a trap. I, I was worried about my kids. I was worried about my pets. And I just thought, this is, so insane, why people keep doing it like this? And I did the research, and I found out that ninety-eight percent of everything sold for pests was a, was toxic. Oh, I was like, I, I have to reinvent this somehow. I don't know how I'm going to do it. I didn't even really like want to do it. So i was like, what is <laughs> this? This is not sexy. This is not fun. What do you say? I'm the Rat Lady. <laughs> but there was there was this pain. It was like, okay, somebody has to do something here. And then I just, you know, that that's where the human spirit um, really really comes up and helps you solve those problems, right? And and find right. that courage and and conviction to keep going.
1: Well, you know what? You just gave me a perfect tease going into the commercial break. Um, so when we come back with my wonderful guest, Carrie Wahlberg-Block, we're going to talk about her her company and then one that's been tremendous right now, which is Earthlink. And she's going to delve into a little bit more. And we're going to go a little farther how it took off and where she is now. So we're going to go to a break. We'll be right back on The Movement. <laughs> Be sure to friend us on Facebook. You can do it right now. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for us at keyword Voice America.
0: If your life needs some structure and direction, you may need a life coach. Interested? Contact Shannon at SDHughesEnterprises at gmail.com for a free 30-minute consultation. Trying to find a buyer for your home? Tired of paying fees and commissions? Need to get out of your home quickly with no fuss? Real Market Experts can help. Get a cash offer on your home today. Our nationwide network of investors will ensure you receive the best price for your home in Chicago and the Chicago Land area. Get started now. Call 1-800-SELL-NOW or 708-887-0795. You can also visit our website at realmarketexperts.com slash il. Is your credit card processor for your business charging you high processing rates? Do you need an upgrade of your current credit card processing terminal and would like it for free? Let North American Bank Card lower those processing rates and qualify you for a free brand new credit card processing terminal. Call Shannon for a free statement analysis, 708-887-0795, or email Shannon at sdhughesenterprises at gmail.com. You are listening to The Movement. To reach the show today, please call in to 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. If you'd rather send an email or if you are looking to be a sponsor for The Movement, contact the show via email to shannon at shannondhughes-themovement.com. That's shannon at shannondhughes-themovement.com. We'd love to hear from you.
1: I welcome everyone to listen to The Movement this May as we celebrate the empowerment of women. The Me Too month of May starts May 2nd right here with The Movement on the Influencers Channel on voiceamerica.com. And speaking of powerful women, we're back with Carrie Warburg Vlog. Now, the only reason she won't be on the show in May, because she's so, so busy. So I had to get her on today. So I am blessed to have her on. And Carrie, thank you very much. And I wanted to pick up right before the break, we were talking about your company. You kind of uh, gave us a little bit of how that got started. So let's 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 pick up from there. So you had this idea and you kind of got to go. So now what now what how does Carrie or how did Carrie go about? Going to, I don't know, investors or whoever to saying, hey, I have a product that can actually help. What did what did Carrie do?
2: Sure, I'd, I'd be happy to, to walk you through it. I'm, I'm sure there's people listening because um, this is probably one of the most frequent questions that I get um, when I'm when I'm on shows or out anywhere. is like, how how do I get my idea, my invention and commercialize it? And there's a whole lot of steps in between. In fact, just before your program, there was ads on about um, inventions, right? And then there was an add-on about the insurance that, you, that you're going to need uh, for your business. So there's a lot of steps that, that go on the way. So I invented our first product, and it was the first botanical rodent repellent to meet federal EPA um, guidelines or gold standards. So in other words, it, it'd be the equivalent of taking a herbal tincture and getting it FDA um, registered, right? So it was, it's a really, really big um, step that that was made and it was a market transforming step so it's changed the industry um, along just that one invention. But when I had that invention on the farm, it was really um, a woman's approach, if you will, because, you know, there was my farmer husband said, just kill it, just kill it. You know, I said, I can't, I can't, it just feels so wrong to me to just kill something, right? It, it needs a home too. I just don't want it to have a home in our stuff. And I didn't want to hurt the kids. I didn't want to hurt the pets. So the first thing really, um, that I give to every inventor is like, find that framework, and that framework really defines the next step, and the next step, and the next step um, that you're going to take. So for me, that that framework really was my company, Earthkind. You know what what I really wanted to do with Earthkind, and and it's about compassion, and it's about faith, and it's about innovation, and it's about excellence. So I knew if 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 there was going to be a better invention, right, the better mousetrap, so to speak, that mm-hmm. when I grew up, my dad was always saying, I'm going to invent a better mousetrap someday and get rich, right? Well, I, I, I overheard that, so I thought about that all or didn't really think about it until I got older, but I grew up with that question in the background, right? Why not just invent a better mousetrap? And so I asked the question... Why a mouse trap to start with? Why not just keep them out? And we don't have to, like, bait them, lure them in, trap them, kill them, clean them up, worry about any poisons um, that get into the environment or touch my kids and so on and so forth. So um, what the blinding glimpse of the obvious for me was, in the aha moment behind every, every invention. There's a great aha moment. I had a mouse run up my bare leg I was mm. in shorts. It ran right up all the way up. <laughs> oh. Needless to say, I could still feel that, you know, little monster running up. And I just instinctively grabbed a bottle of perfume out of my purse. And I, I happened to have a purse with me because this event happened the first date on the farm with the guy that I married. And, um, I was working at a cosmetic counter. I was a makeup artist and I had to sell perfume and I didn't really wear it cause it gave me a headache, but I thought, Hey, I should grab a bottle, take it with me on this date. I should smell good. Right.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Anyway, I squirted and the mice ran away and there was two of them and they ran out of the floorboards. And, um, that was really the blinding glimpse of the obvious, so I get on the farm and I thought, hmm, well, maybe I could just, you know, spray perfume around here and the mice will run off, and wouldn't that be a whole lot easier than, and more pleasant than using a poison? So it actually became a new approach, which was a prevention. So we started this category of pest prevention, like putting... Things into an any area you didn't want to have a pest come in there. You put it in, and it it drives them away. So I spent about it was it was almost eight years of research that that I had to do to find the right thing. And what I did was look to nature. Um, I in my name it's CEO, but it really means um, chief ecology officer. <laughs> <As> executive, Because <laughs> I'm in jeans a lot of the time. Right. But um, I was like, okay, there must be something in nature. And um, I looked at trees, right? Okay, like in the wintertime, up way up north, balsam fir trees have this sap that drips down the outside, and it's their own pesticides. Rodents don't eat the bark, and the trees don't die over the winter by losing their coat. And so I I did trials with that, and that became a patent a patented discovery that I made because I figured out how to take that invention and make it into a product and commercialize it. And it was a revolutionary new way, um, to look at controlling pests. I guess you could say I built this whole business from, from nature. It started with the tree. (laughs) Um, but so I got it, um, patented and I started to sell it locally and I did testing, and I didn't have any money when I started this, so there was no – yeah. now I, I, I have to throw in some statistics so that give gives a context for this. So the average business in America, it takes $30,000 to start, and it takes a little over two weeks if you work at it full time to get your paperwork, to get everything that you need done. I didn't have $30,000. In fact, we, we really had nothing. So, um, what I did is I, I went out and I got a grant for $500. I think the first one was, and I bought supplies and then I did all my initial testing. And then I went back again to, um, USDA had a, a local, um, Arm where they were helping on new inventions that would r- make a positive impact. And all, since all my ingredients came from farms, basically, and it was a product that would keep rodents away from farms and reduce the burden on the environment, obviously they were like, okay, we'll give you a $5,000 farm diversification grant.
0: Mm-hmm. So
2: with that money, then I got my initial trials and field studies done. And got the product out there, took my van out. I drove it around to all of these implement dealers. You know, They sell tractors and combines. And I introduced myself. I said, hey, I'm this farm wife, and um, I believe mice need a home, too, but just not in my expensive tractor or combine. <laughs> and they were kind of amused, and they're like, huh, that sounds like something my wife would say. And so I said, okay, I'm going to leave you with a sample of my product put it in the rattiest combine you've got the one that nobody wants to buy because there's, it smells like rats were in it. And so I left it behind. And then by the next year, all of them had called back and I got my first distributor. And I, I think we did maybe, I don't know, $30,000 or something. And I'm at this trade show and within a year it was a hit. Right. And they were like, radio stations, farmers were calling in, Hey, I got this stuff at this Pride of Dakota show. Where could I get this? This was so good. And it da, da 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 So they asked me to get on. And I went on, and farmers started calling in and I'd give them tips and advice. And it was like marriage therapy, right? If you buy my product, <laughs> you don't have fights. Because on the farms, the women were taking care of all this stuff it'll save so many problems. Anyway. Shortly after that, I get this visit. Um, I was at a trade show. We got our story got on the news, and there was a uh, a line of people over a block long. It was only like ten degrees outside. They're waiting outside to get in to buy our product. And two people were in this group, and they they had they open up their pocketbooks and they had their cards in there. And they're basically the pesticide police. Oh. And they said, yeah, they said, um, you can't do this legally. And I said, do what? They go, you can't sell a pesticide without a license from the federal oh. EPA. Oh. And I said, you're kidding me. What do, you, what do you mean? And he said, well, there's like a huge fine for this, and um, this is a federal offense. You could go to jail for this. And, um, or prison. prison. (laughs) And so here, here I am, you know, (laughs) selling the stuff, all excited, little kids next to me that, you know, we'd worked and worked and worked to get all the stuff made, which we were making it all still by hand back then. We're automated today, but, uh so I went home and I cried and it was like, you know, I, I guess maybe I'm going to have to give up. And so. I made an appointment with uh, the egg department, and I went in. This is the pesticide police. And uh, they sat down, and they said, well, it's pretty much impossible what you're going to do because you kind of need dead bodies to just <laughs> determine if this is, is something you can register. That's what the wow. current protocols say. Mm. I said, well, then we'll just change them. And they go, well, there's more to it than that. You're probably looking at $200,000. dollars <laughs> hmm and you're probably looking at a ninety nine percent chance it's not you're not going to get this through, and I said, "Why?" And they go, "Well, yeah, this is the government you're talking about. this is the e p a and so they sent me home, and um I was definitely in the wilderness at that point, Shannon, and I was oh, yeah. thinking, "Wow, I thought I had something, and I guess I'm pretty much dead in the water. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I prayed about it and I got, I just got madder and matter, And it was, again, it was this insanity, right? I'm thinking, this is so insane. Here, this farm wife invents something and it actually works and it's good for the earth, good for society, good for farmers, all of that. And the government says, you can't, do this. We don't have a way to do this. We don't have a process. And then the cost, I was like, I can't, there's no way I'm going to get that kind of money. Um, so, and I, and I misspoke. It was $2 million that they said it would take. I ended up getting it all done for about $200,000. Um, over the next, it took me several years to do it. But I said, you know, I made up my mind. If this is the last thing I do on this planet, my life is over. I'm gonna feel really good about this because it makes such a contribution. When you by this time I had known what kind of damage rodents do. Mm-hmm. They get in they cause up to twenty percent of all household fires because they gnaw on wires. Right. Isn't that scary? Um, uh, there's three hundred thousand bites a year <laughs> documented
0: oh. um
2: Oof. from rats in homes and that's it's children, it's the elderly, it's, you know, people that can't help themselves. Um, a single pair of loving mice can create about a, a 15,000 offspring a year if they're left unchecked. So it's it's a pretty significant problem. And rodents are the number one um, competitor for resources on the planet. <laughs> Next wow. to man. So I'm thinking, wow this is really a big problem and poison doesn't necessarily need to address this. And then there was the fact that the ones getting into the combines were the women wanting to have their babies. right? So it's like even more compassionate, like, Oh, how can I, you know, I can't kill them. I just don't want them in there. They can live outside, do their thing. But so that, that was what got me through. I started to use that framework. Um, right to, to move forward, I had that framework that I have to be resilient. My human spirit has to overcome matter here. Instead of mind over matter, I was thinking human spirit over matter, right? I, I have to make this happen. So, um, I got resourceful and I called, I called the same egg department that told me I couldn't do it. And I said, okay, I'm going to prove you wrong. Give me the name of, some of the best consultants out there that, that know, that work with EPA, that work with big companies that, you know, that really believe in what I'm doing. And so I interviewed those people um, and they helped me do most of the legwork that I needed to do. So I did most of all the discovery work myself, put a lot of the science packages together. I didn't know how to do it, but I, I saw examples, and basically then it became black and white of all the things that I I needed to do. And what I couldn't do, we'd hired labs and partners to do. So I got the whole package together. We got the protocols written. It took three times. EPA said, that's impossible. That can't work. (laughs) Sent us back. I went home, and I cried. (laughs) Came back again and came back again. And it was three times that took. So eventually now we take us up to 2007. So this is a whole, this process happened over quite a few years. So I spent almost eight years researching to find the, the, the thing that I knew worked and to test it over and over again because I didn't believe it myself at first. And then another seven years forward, we, we have our first EPA registration, and um, that's when our business started to take off um, after that. So the, the you get the invention, right? <laughs> you get the right. patents, and then to commercialize it, you got to look at the regulatory, and then there all the other things got plugged in. They're like, hey, you're going to need insurance. You're going to need all these other things. So I did as much as I could myself, and I bootstrapped the business um, to where it is today, and we're... <sighs> Sounds like 11 years later, and now we're in about 35,000 stores um, across the country. We just took our first um, private equity investment um, this last year, and it was pretty exciting because we basically really had a pick of of, um, what we wanted to do there um, because the investors saw the resilience, they saw the creativity. Um, they saw the courage. They, they saw that I could go in with these big retailers and say, no, and walk away from them. In fact, I've done that. I've, I've walked away from Walmart. You can read about it on CNBC oh my <laughs> or goodness. CNN. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> there's quite a few stories out there about it. And, um, and now it's so funny all these years later, I'll be in, uh, for the Bentonville Film Festival here in, in two weeks
1: with, okay. uh,
2: with I wanna, Walmart I,
1: um, I want to I hold you right there because we are right <laughs> up against the break because I want to hear the conclusion of that story when we come back we're going to hear the conclusion of that story then we're going to ask her about her great uncle and Damon John we may not know her uncle but we some of you all may know who Damon John is so we will continue with Carrie Warburg Block on the movement right after this Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7.
0: Trying to find a buyer for your home? Tired of paying fees and commissions? Need to get out of your home quickly with no fuss? Real market experts can help. Get a cash offer on your home today. Our nationwide network of investors will ensure you receive the best price for your home in Chicago and the Chicago Land area. Get started now. Call 1-800-SELL-NOW or 708-887-0795. You can also visit our website at realmarketexperts.com slash IL. Is your credit card processor for your business charging you high processing rates? Do you need an upgrade of your current credit card processing terminal and would like it for free? Let North American Bank Card lower those processing rates and qualify you for a free brand new credit card processing terminal. Call Shannon for a free statement analysis, 708-887-0795 or email Shannon at sdhughesenterprises at gmail.com. If your life needs some structure and direction, you may need a life coach. Interested? Contact Shannon at SD Enterprises at gmail.com for a free 30-minute consultation. Change starts here. Change starts now. Join us, the Voice America Influencers Channel. You are listening to The Movement. To reach the show today, please call in to 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. If you'd rather send an email or if you are looking to be a sponsor for The Movement, contact the show via email to Shannon at shannondhughes-themovement.com. That's Shannon at shannondhughes-themovement.com. We'd love to hear from you.
1: Yes, we would absolutely love to hear from you. And you can also visit my website, Shannon D. Hughes-the-movement.com. Again, that's Shannon D. Hughes-the-movement.com. And we are on the final leg of the movement today with Carrie Warburg-Block, who is talking about the success of her very popular company, Earthkind. You can go to her website, Earthkind.com. And she was just finishing up the story: 35 stores nationwide. It is just exploding. I'm sure you have other things you're going to take take your businesses places. So tell us where we're at now. How, where, 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 do you have some other things you're going to do with it? What's going on there?
2: Sure. Today we have uh, our, our first flagship brand called Fresh Cab, and it, it is the number one choice for people storing high-value properties. So you can find that pr- uh, product out at um, Tractor Supply and John Deere and Ace Hardware, RV Stores, Auto Stores. Even the government uses it to prevent uh, rodent infestations in their property. And it leaves the most amazing smell in there. something only a woman can come up with, right? <laughs> and, uh, and we also have another line that we sell into the mass stores called Stay Away. So Stay Away Spiders is the most popular one. And again, that was a first-to-market product that smells amazing. And you put it into your property and you don't have um, the spiders and you don't have the webs that come with it. Uh, it's, just, it's just a great product. What that does is it repels the little bugs um, that spiders eat as well as the spiders. So, um, it prevents all kinds of um, trouble. And you can find that one across the U.S. You can get it in all the Lowe's stores. Um, it's in Target stores. You can even... Discover it if you can find it in, in, uh, in DJ Maxx or Marshalls. That's a, a discovery place. You can find it, um, all over, um, the U.S. But so spiders, moths, ants, we even have a plant-based, um, pouch pod that, that you can put these pouches into. And it's, um, it's, it's like a, a holder that conceals it. And, um, we designed that one with, um, a company out of North Dakota and, and I was named a top 30 bio innovator in the country for work on that. It's made with um, beets, sunflower hull and flax shive. So it's like a bioplastic. So it's really cool. Figured out a way to make the pouches last longer. Um They last about 30 days normally, but you put it in that it extends the life out. Uh, so the business is, is going to keep growing. We, um, we're at a stage of course where we get so many opportunities and it's it's really um a discipline of not looking at competition really, but looking at you know what our what our last best thing was, and where we want to go and um, keeping our framework really pure of uh, what we're doing and It's our goal to make um, our products available and affordable. Um, 225 million households across the country that are still buying poisons. We've got a long ways to go right now. Um, it's still 90% of everything sold at a retail store is, is toxic. And it really shouldn't yes. be used in a home with kids and pets in, unless it's a uh, licensed professional that knows what they're doing. So that's that's where we're going and that's what we're committed to. And, um, you know, we're, we're well on our way to that.
1: Well, you're, you're an innovator and I'm, I'm an and congratulations to all your success. But I want to circle back just a little bit. Let's talk about your great uncle. The floor is yours.
2: <laughs> Be happy to. I'm so glad you asked. <laughs> so I think the, the whole thing goes back in my DNA because, um, both, well, my, my father, um, ended up becoming an entrepreneur, um, in, in his later years. Um, both of my grandparents were entrepreneurs, and it goes back all the way to the signing of the Declaration of Independence. That largest signature on there, John Hancock, that, that was my great, great, great uncle. Wow. And so, yeah, I think, I think um a lot of that uh, what I have and what our family has came back from that and and I I really have this passion and I've never really understood it until um well three years ago um, when I went to Africa and, and we can talk about that in a little bit but the point really is there there's this um the soul really that that lives in America and it's you know, what I love about it is it's about freedom of mind and spirit. And um, we, can, we can reach our potential. We have free will. We can do anything we want. We can create a better tomorrow. Uh, you know, we can lift humanity. And I just, I, I believe in my heart that business can really liberate the human spirit. And that's probably one of the funnest things for me and my business as it's growing um, the influence that I have on my employees to say, hey, you know, you truly can be anything you want to be here. And um, and it's it's fun to watch them change and grow. And it's kind of like living my early years over again, right, and making more use out of it. But it's really fun to see what grows from that.
1: Absolutely. And so let's talk about a little bit, I I read in your bio that you're, I know you do some speaking and and you're a part of some women's organizations. Just give me a little, uh, what's that like for you? How much fulfillment do you get out of uh, doing, uh, being involved in things like that?
2: Well, I had, I really had no idea how important networks were um, to growing a business until I became um, an EY Entrepreneurial Winning Women. And I found out that most businesses only grow to, say, $30,000 in size. That, and that's like you start a business. <laughs> it's like, okay, well, we can't get it past that, right? And then there's another big um, hump you go over. It gets to a million in size. And each time you get, you get to these growth, growth inflection points, you have to change your skill set. And there's different things that are required. And so, starting with nothing, like I did, and 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 you know, seeing it passing that million dollar mark, and then the five million dollar mark, right, and then the ten million dollar mark, and now I'm working my way to the hundred million dollar mark. There's a lot of different things that are required,
0: mm-hmm. and
2: you you reach this ceiling, and it's called the missing middle, right, where. Women can get to a certain point, and it's not just women, but it's even rarer for women, but all entrepreneurs, you you get there, and it's very, very difficult to grow it past a certain point unless you get involved in networks where you can be around people that have been there, done that. And, And it gets to be a smaller group, right? The larger your business gets. So being introduced to a network of um women for instance peers of mine i've now watched my girlfriends personal girlfriends grow their businesses from 10 million to 100 million i have two girlfriends that have grown it over a billion and one just sold for 1.3 billion and now they've kept her on as a ceo the first woman ceo in history of a, a cosmetic company Right. So it, it really helps to have networks like that where you can say, hey, what, what would you do if you were in my shoes? Oh, hey, I've been there. I did this. I did that. And you, you reach a point where cons- most consultants out there can't even help you. right? Because <laughs> it's, it's for the most part, it's uncharted territory when you're a market leader. So it requires being in the network of people that think very differently. And that's why I love being a part of the EY winning women network so, so much. They help me think bigger. Um, it helps me act bolder, which I may sound bold to you, but um technically I'm kind of an introvert and a security cat. I started manufacturing because I'd rather do stuff behind the scenes, right? <laughs> just make the changes and, not have to go and travel everywhere, but uh, that's not really how it is. And then you, you get involved in these networks. Um, you start thinking about working on the business, not in the business. And then also you get exposed to advisors through this, where you know, I can pick up the phone and reach somebody. Um, so for instance. Because of what I've learned, I was um, invited to be on the National Women's Business Council, which is a federal advisory um, committee that advises SBA, Congress, and and um, the White House on matters of importance to women in business. So, I got to, it had the great pleasure for three years to be involved in research. And really looking at what moves the dial to get the, to get those women-owned businesses over that $30,000 hump. <laughs> and a lot of the research points to confidence, right, at that level. It's just, how, how do you have the confidence to just go and ask? And women tend to overdo it, right? <laughs> we we want to walk in with all the bases covered. And we just don't think that we have um, enough skill set where, where we really, really do but being around other women that have done it, it helps you see that you can do it too. It's almost like you have to see it to believe it. So um, I'm just, that's one of the reasons I like doing interviews like this. So it exposes other people to see that, hey, I really have have the right stuff to do this. If she did it, I can do it too. Um, and one of the, um, great pleasures that I had in, when I was on the council is I was invited to travel to Africa for the Global Entrepreneurship Summit with President Obama. Um, Damon John from the Shark Tank was there. Um, so I got some really good advice from him i can I can share that with you, <laughs> but what, what I saw going to that country. And I was looking around, and I, I really hadn't been outside the country and, and traveled like that, and it really, really brought it home to me up close and personal how, how privileged we are in this country, like myself, to say, hey, I'm going to start a business, and I am going to make it. I'm going to make my own way. I'm going to make things better, right? Right. I saw the, the there's so many more barriers or access to markets there that the women that want to start businesses didn't have. Um, there's access to funding, the lack of access to funding. They didn't have that. They didn't have positive role models, not like we do in this country. And yet, the human spirit was so alive. I, I witnessed, I wrote about it on, um, I think, my entrepreneur column, where women had banded together pennies at a time and created their own banks. They called them kitchen table banks and villages. And they would collectively loan to women that had good ideas. And then when those women would pay them back, they'd get more and they'd hide it under the table. So, you know, the men did, didn't take it. And they're making it happen, and they're sending wow. their kids to college and wow uh, it' just it it's just amazing the 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 spirit I'm like you know we we're such a light onto the world um for you know proving hey, we're not bad people right to start our right. own business it's um you know it's it's really a good thing we can do good things
1: through business what- well, Carrie, I am in the last couple minutes of my show. Could you please give your website out for everybody who wants to uh, go out to your business and, and just support everything? Please give that information out, please.
2: Sure. www.earthkind.com.
1: Carrie Warborough Block is I. Consider her the real Wonder Woman. It was so such an honor to have you on, and I wish you nothing but success. And you know I'll be talking to you soon. And that is this week's edition of the Movement. And and as Carrie said, she has gone through a lot, trial and error. She life gave her lemons, and she made lemonade out of it. Moving around, dealing with uh, educational setbacks and things of that nature, being told no often enough. That she said her belief was strong enough. She said, find your framework she, or block did a movement of her own. I am Shannon D. Hughes, and tune in next week at 2 p.m. Eastern Time for The Movement. Thank you very much. Have a good one.
0: Thank you for joining us for The Movement. Your host, Shannon D. Hughes, invites you to tune in again for another edition next Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time. That's 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel.